A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Rowinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah. Hi, this is Andy Brown from London, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, thank you so much, Andy, for introducing this edition of the Tennis Podcast, one of our Kickstarter backers who has uh, been supporting us all year long. And here we are, finally, through the group stages of the ATP Finals. Cool. It feels like it's taken a while to get to that point, doesn't it? Matt Roberts is here. Catherine Whittaker's here. Catherine, you've had a bit of a day. <laughs> it's been a, a bit of a marathon and lots of weird stuff has gone on. Uh, but here we are approaching 11 o'clock at night and uh, we finally have semi-finals to look forward to officially yes i thought the biggest problem with today was it was going to be very very boring um and it definitely wasn't that no hmm. it started with a covid test <laughs> yes <laughs> so they started with a covid test although due to some confusion over exactly what time i was booked for my covid test and whether I could go early or had to go my time slot, I actually went to hair and makeup first. Um, and uh, lovely Sarah and Sophie made me uh, look and feel lovely. Uh, and then I, I was um, reliably informed that I was the most glamorous looking person ever to take a COVID test. <laughs> um, <laughs> by whom? So, by the COVID tester. Oh. Um, so that was that was my badge of honour for the day. Uh, and then, right. um, whereas last time I got my results through at around about half past 12, today I had to wait till well past 4pm um, for my negative result. Hooray, I will accept any and all congratulations. Um, but when it did come, I received it three times. I received three text messages and three emails confirming that I had tested negative for COVID-19. So Maybe it's, been best, stuck it's best in to be drafts. sure. Right. Mm. Yeah. I wonder how many messages they send people who are positive because they really need to know. <laughs> yes. not, she's not answering. Send it again. <laughs> I, I shouldn't laugh, but um, you got to you know, laugh. You got to laugh a bit. Um, so, what, what made the day weird? Because if we if we go through it, the afternoon was where singles wise the action was, wasn't it? In terms of the things that mattered. But, you know, there was a lot more to the day than that. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's a bit of recency bias with things being weird because the latter portion of the day was was, was what was weird. The afternoon session proceeded without too much incident. There was a very exciting doubles match to kick things off. Uh, Bruno Suarez and Matej Pavic, more, more on them later, uh, winning a, a thriller 10-8 in the match tie break against John Piers and Michael Venus mm -hmm. um, who who again I, I know I know everyone's saying they're carrying on for next year but that body language as they trudged off the court it was it was not good um, so that was how things started then we had Novak Djokovic looking very very good against Alexander Zverev who looked less than good then there was some press conference activity from them both, which you're going to update us on. And then Granoya Zabayos happened. And I wasn't expecting them to be the drama source of the day. 
but we no, are where we are. You, you had you had quite a long period of time. If we just deal with that quickly, you had a long period of time holding the airwaves on Amazon Prime Video when the players, the heartbeat had been going on for about twenty minutes to to signal that they're about to come out of the locker room, and then they just didn't. Yeah, so we did a sort of twenty-minute build-up to to the evening session uh, ahead of that doubles match, of which you know around about half is actual chat about about the doubles. Had Tim and Annabelle in the studio, and you know there's a lot to get t- your teeth into with doubles, but generally speaking, there's kind of fewer talking points and rich themes to to delve into uh, than with the singles. Um, but you know we we're having good chat expecting players to walk onto court the heartbeats going which is generally your indication that you're about to get pictures of the players in the corridor and then suddenly suddenly you hear a whisper in your ear someone says oh 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 there's there's rumors that the the doctor's there backstage um and then it's like chinese whispers except it's happening just in your left ear um and (laughs) uh yeah it turned out that Marcel Granoyers uh, had called the doctor to his dressing room moments before he was due to walk out into court. We weren't sure what the injury was. There was a delay of about um, 15 minutes uh, before the players eventually did take to the court, during which most of the time the heartbeat was still going. (laughs) I'm sort of still hearing it pulsing, pulsing in my ears right now. Do you think they had to sort of send it back to the beginning of its cycle? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, And then they, you know, they go, they go five, three up. Uh, Marcel Grenoia's ratios are by us. It's all looking fine. They get pegged back, um, heading into a, uh, a tie break in the first set. Uh, Granoyas calls the trainer. Uh, we spend about three minutes on armpit shots of uh, Marcel Granoyas, uh, at which point simultaneously our feed goes down, which may or may not have been somebody in the control room not enjoying armpit shots of Marcel Granoyas and deciding to pull the plug and save us all. Mm. Uh, that's unconfirmed <laughs> at this stage. It's merely speculation. Anyway, back up and running. Granolias trudges on, um, and but only for a, for a point point or so more. They they throw in the towel, and yet still advance to the semi-finals because they were guaranteed to do so before the match. But their their uh, defaults, their what's the word I'm looking for? It's not withdrawal. Retirement. Retirement. It's been a long day. <laughs> their retirement meant that on paper it was a straight sets victory for Jürgen Meltzer and Edouard Roger Vasselin. And that did Bruno Suarez and Mateo Pavic, the world number ones, out of what was looking like a certain trip to the semi-finals. And it also created an hour-long window during which I needed to make television without a, any kind of plan. So, so it's a bit like an hour-long version of the pandemic and tennis relived, really, wasn't it? <laughs> yes. Yes. Where's an interview with Mark Rossi when you need one? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it was quite entertaining. And, and for, for a lot of that hour of, of Phil was occupied with us trying to figure out what on earth the, the scenario was. Um, mm. I, I asked the question of... Because... Presumably, it is very much in doubt whether Zabayos and Granoyas can even play the semi-finals, and it seems ludicrous to me that if they were to withdraw ahead of that semi-final, that Suarez and Pavic could not take their place. But apparently, that's that's not even a possibility. There is no leeway for any any scenario like that within the rules. But I don't know. That just that seems counterintuitive to me. I did ask the studio guests whether this would be or could be the sort of scenario that could prompt a rule change and nobody thought it would be. I mean, the wheels of change grind very slowly in tennis, don't they? Mm, Yeah. Yeah. And also it means that it's Bruno Suarez and Matteo Pavic's last (laughs) ever match as a partnership unless they get back together. Yeah. I mean, it's not going out on a high, is it? It's, yeah. I mean, I really, I really feel for them. Mm. Uh, yeah 
So that, that happened. Right, well, let's go back to the singles that we've just sort of skipped over in the afternoon, first of all, uh, which was, as you say, a pretty decisive win for Novak Djokovic over Alexander Zverev. And, and one of the things that struck me immediately in the analysis of Greg Rosetsky in your studio afterwards was he was scathing about the decision of Zverev to opt to receive after winning the toss. You know, he said, look, I'm. I was a big server, and he's a big server, and I wouldn't have dreamt of putting my opponent into bat like that. You know, I would. I would want to come out and dominate, and that's that means my serve. And he just couldn't not understand why he's very over that choice. And if I'm right, Matt, wasn't wasn't it three love in about nine minutes to to Djokovic? Yeah, it was exactly that. And Zverev had only won two points in those nine minutes. And one of those points was a Djokovic double fault. It was it was kind of over before it had even started that match. Because if you give Djokovic a lead like that, it is so difficult to come back. I think he's won something like 40 matches in a row after he's won the first set. It's just an incredibly uphill battle you're giving yourself straight away. Um, and that was the difference, really, between this match and the Djokovic-Medvedev match the other day because Djokovic started that match very well against Medvedev, but Medvedev was living with him. But he started this match very well and Zverev was left trailing in his wake. Um, and I think that that decision to receive just kind of points to where Zverev is at with his serve. He has no confidence with it at all. Um, and you can see that by the fact that he doesn't what he doesn't have is a stock second serve he doesn't have the ability to reliably get it in at 90 miles an hour or something like that he either goes for a really slow one or a really really fast one and it's just completely unreliable it's like he doesn't even know what's coming when he throws the ball up and yeah Djokovic broke him straight away and then Zverev played a lot better in the second set and actually was probably the better player, the one dictating, the one hitting the winners. But you always felt like Djokovic was just staying with him and was biding his time. And then he got it into a tie break and he he uh, he kind of turned it on and played played another flawless tie break. And that was the match done and dusted. Mm. He, he's been playing a lot of good tie breaks this year, mm. hasn't he, Djokovic? I remember that you, you were talking about teams tie break record recently, but it is a, a sign of a of a great match player. Yeah. Well, team has been trying to emulate Djokovic in tie breaks, hasn't oh, right. he? But I think that's something we've talked about on the podcast, isn't it? Yeah. The... Blank, blank face from David there. <laughs> yeah. Basically, Djokovic <laughs> has set this, <laughs> he set this gold standard for how to play tie breaks. I think it came to everyone's attention in the Wimbledon final last year where there were three tie breaks and he didn't hit a single unforced error in any of them. And team has spoken about how he's tried to copy that approach and knuckle down and make himself solid when it gets to a tiebreak. And it's paid off for Djokovic this year. I think the only tiebreak he's lost was the one against Kyle Edmund at the US Open. He's won all other 14, I think. And yeah, a, a bit like team, I, I trust them both to perform well in those biggest moments. And when it's the best players against each other, those are the those are the kind of small margins, I suppose. Mm. So that puts Djokovic into the semis against Dominic Team tomorrow, um, and then there's uh, Rafael Nadal against uh, Daniel Medvedev in the evening session. J- just quickly on Zverev in terms of his tennis and going into the off season and that serve, I still think that there's got to be an argument for just changing the mentality. If you can't fix that serve and get that reliable three quarter pace second serve that you always know goes in. Why not? If given that it doesn't seem to take that much out of him to try to hit one thirty-five mile an hour serves, he just rolls his arm over and just slaps the ball down from that trajectory. Why not just hit two of those all the time? You know, you, that's you'd not have so a long-term solution, though, is it? Isn't it? I mean, it might be an in-match solution. I just wonder what would happen if he did do that. You know, I th- I think, think he'd end up hitting more double faults. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I'd be interested in a match to see him try that. Mm. But they always say that the double faults come when the 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 deceleration mm. happens in the service motion, don't they? And uh, I kind of feel like if he's just crashing it down, then he won't decelerate. <clears throat> but Greg always says that the reason the double faults come 
uh, is because he doesn't have a margin for error on his technique because he because of where he grips the racket he's not a he doesn't have the flexibility in the wrist so that it's all fine it's sort of a fair weather serve it's all it 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 functions very well indeed when you're loose as soon as you get tight you can't get the snap on your wrist and that's the reason for that deceleration so it's kind of that intersection of the mental and the physical again which is kind of the crux of why i love tennis mm. um but it yeah it's it's been explained very very well so it's kind of greg thinks he needs to adjust his technique in order to give himself a bit more leeway on on the mental side of things and then you know i, th- I think it becomes a it gets you out of that vicious circle which he seems to be in at the moment mm. but i don't know i mean it's not it's not a long off season is it it's no. with a <laughs> accounting for a a quarantine period in australia um, yeah. and, he, and he's had a period already this year to work yeah. on it, a longer period than he will likely ever get. And yeah. it hasn't <laughs> got better. As decent a, a coach in some ways as David Ferrer potentially is shaping up to be, is he the man you want to improve your serve? I I don't know. Hmm. I'd be, hi- I'd be hiring be... Greg over David Ferrer, put it that way, for a, for a hmm. serving masterclass. Greg will be delighted. Um, <laughs> I mean, Greg I mean, is a big believer that um, players should employ, you know, on a on a short term contract basis, serving coaches. He, he mm. finds it inexplicable that 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 sort of shot specific coaches aren't aren't a thing in tennis. Yeah, if you've got a weak point, absolutely. Um, and I suppose yeah. I suppose Djokovic is an example of someone who did he. He hired Todd Martin about 10 or 11 and, years ago, I suppose and now. And Mark Woodford, briefly. Yeah, and his serve has gone through various stages. There was that 09 stage where he was double faulting an awful lot and had a really weird technique on it, and it took him time to develop a reliable one. And then there was the more recent stage after he came back from his elbow surgery where, where again, his technique changed for a while and he was he was adjusting it. So, I mean, Djokovic is an example of someone who can change their technique on the serve and build a more reliable one going forward. But I've not really seen anything from Zverev to suggest that he has tried changing their technique at all. It always looks the same. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't see how he makes true progress if he can't overcome this problem because it keeps, it keeps cropping up. Hmm. And it, and it just keeps getting talked about and it's, yeah, it, it does, um, it just dominates his game really mm. uh, a lot of the time. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, we'll see if David Ferrer can make any difference in the off-season to his game at all. Um, we mentioned the press conferences. The players both came in afterwards, Zverev first, and he was asked by Mike Dixon of the Mail whether based on the little chat he'd had with Novak Djokovic at the net, they had some words, he asked him, A, what he'd said, and B, what the reaction more generally of the players had been to him in the locker room in light of the allegations of Olya Sharipova um, that we've been detailing on the tennis podcast recently. And he he seemed incredulous, really, about the question, as though he couldn't quite believe that anybody would think that the players had any sort of problem with it and that that um and he he said yeah i mean no the players are fine with me they know what's going on is what he said and he even slightly laughed when he said said that um which was to me a surprising way to react um later on in the press conference i asked a question and it was Basically, do you intend in the off-season when you've got a little more time and no tennis to take any further action to clear your name of these allegations? And his answer was, what else can I say? I've said everything that I can. It's very unfortunate that these kind of false allegations can put such damage and the attention away from the sport. But it's the world we live in right now, unfortunately. Yeah, there's nothing more that I can do. So... 
no suggestion there, at least, that he does intend to take any further action uh, or say any more, really. Uh, we'll, we'll wait and find out whether he does. Um, after that, Novak Djokovic came into his press comments, and he was asked by Ben Rothenberg, who's the journalist that wrote the initial interview with Olya Shiripova. And uh, Ben put to Djokovic the question about whether the ATP should have a domestic violence policy, which is something that we've talked about before on the podcast in relation to what John Wertheim had written about how the NFL and the NBA have those type of policies so that they can launch an internal investigation when such allegations such as these arise. And Djokovic initially spoke in quite some depth, and I thought slightly tied himself up in knots talking about how long he's known Zverev and the family and his brother and, and, and things like that, and which I, I was, again, I was surprised that he was talking about those in light of this, this. And then he said, I mean, obviously, I'm not supporting any kind of violence. So we'll have to wait and see. He said, I, I heard what happened. We don't know what happened. I mean, we're going to find out, obviously. I'm not sure we will. Um, but anyway, he then said uh, regarding the ATP, the idea of an ATP policy, he actually ended up agreeing with that. And he said that maybe this will inspire the ATP to do something like that. And he certainly seemed supportive of that idea. Later on, another one of our colleagues, I think it was Rob Mall, followed up and asked him, have you spoken to Sasha to get his side of the story? Do you feel that he's treated differently in the locker room now since the allegations became public? And Djokovic replied, I've not noticed that he's been treated differently in the locker room, at least in my case. I've always had a very good relationship with him. We got to spend time during the Adria tour this year uh, and privately as well, talked about a lot of different things in life. So it was very nice to go in-depth with him and really get closer and get more personal than just the common themes and subjects and conversations that we get on the tour. He said, I've not talked to him about the specific case. I did tell him that I'm here if he needs to talk. Of course, he's got his family and his team around him. He's been handling it well by the looks of his results in the last month and a half. He's been doing well, considering he's got a lot on his plate off the court. So I sincerely wish him well for the future and that he overcomes this soon and that he can focus on his life and his tennis career. After that, uh, Djokovic then tweeted his reaction to the match and he said, it's always a pleasure sharing the court with Alexander Zverev. Great ending of the season for you. Best wishes in what awaits you on and off the court. Stay strong. Matt, um, I mean, my, I was surprised, uh, I, I, again, really, at, that Djokovic had, had responded like this. And I don't know the full reasons why, but it felt as though he, he just hadn't, hadn't given much thought for the seriousness of, the, of these allegations and what his support, his public support of Zverev was effectively saying, indirectly, but what it was saying. Um, what, what did you think? Yeah, I must say the one of the most disappointing parts of this is, you know, you said you were surprised by some of those comments and those reactions. I must say they didn't surprise me at all. Um, kind of time and again when there's been any kind of intersection of real life issues and tennis players having to comment on them quite a lot this year we've we've been left quite disappointed really so unfortunately these, these comments didn't really surprise me um, I was particularly disappointed by the tweet that felt performative and completely tone deaf to me and there was just absolutely no need for that whatsoever he's gone out of his way there um and i'm just i'm just disappointed by the by the narrow perspective you know in his answer djokovic said we don't know 
what happened in this case. So by saying the words he's saying in public, in support of Alexander Zverev, he is framing Zverev as the victim. And we do not know that. And I find that incredibly troubling, really, that someone of his platform is is speaking in that way. And as for Zverev's comments and that kind of chuckle he gave through that answer, just just another illustration, unfortunately, that he doesn't get it. He doesn't he doesn't grasp how how to respond to this. Um, so, yeah, it was just it was another disappointing set of press conferences, I felt. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd agree. Um, Catherine? I don't think there's anything that I can add that would be more eloquent or apt than what Matt said and and, and what what you've said. Um, that's why he's Matt Roberts. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. So that's what happens this afternoon. Um, We then went into the evening... Um, and we had uh, Daniel Medvedev playing against Diego Schwartzman in the in the singles, um, and I mean it could not have been more different to what we saw from Dominic Team, could it? The day before, <laughs> and, and yet and yet it was it was strangely predictable, or at least predicted by I think all of us, and certainly everybody, all the pundits that you were speaking to, Catherine, everybody seemed to see this coming. And I'm trying to work out what the difference was. It did. It, it didn't feel like a dead rubber to Daniel Medvedev. Yeah, I mean, it was um, it was his version of tanking, wasn't it? It was actually being that brilliant was his way of expending minimum minimum energy <laughs> tonight. Mm. And he was going for some absurd shots. Mm. Re- the, he was going for. Sh- I mean, he must feel. Yeah, so incredibly good right now. I think I, I fe- he looks like he feels he can't miss, mm. and and he and so he's going for for the absurd at times. Yeah, he finished the match on a jump backhand down the line, not quite winner because Schwartzman just got a racket to it, but you know, all but winner. Um, yeah, it, it felt like an exhibition. It felt like an exhibition. It felt like. In fact, after that doubles match got curtailed um, in the evening session, there was the gap before the the uh, the singles match. Uh, Tim Henman was recalling the the final that 
that should have been between Federer and Djokovic. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Federer pulled out with a back injury and, of course, potentially had one eye on the, the Davis Cup final. Um, and and Tim Henman stepped into the breach along with his cohorts to, to play an exhibition match so that the uh, expectant crowd wouldn't be disappointed. Well, it felt like... Daniil Medvedev stepped into the breach tonight and played an exhibition match for the not crowd. Um, but that's what it felt like. An exhibition, it felt like sitting there in the O2 arena, it felt like Daniil Medvedev was putting on an exhibition or it felt like, it felt like, I mean, not that I have any experience of this outside of um teen high school American dramas but it felt like like a a high school um football player or basketball player when a when a scout has come to watch them uh you know trying to get a trying to get an offer for a scholarship at college that that's what it felt like to me and Diego Schwartzman was a bystander yeah he, he could do nothing Really, very, I mean, uh, except not standing, very much moving from yeah. side to side. Yeah, he's trying his heart out, and he—it he, was—it was surprising. I mean, it wasn't surprising, because, but but I'm still trying to work out how two players in the top eight that could seem that such a cavern is between them. Really, mm. you know, that's how good Medvedev was. Yeah, I do feel slightly sorry for Schwartzman because. His his campaign really to get into the top eight is was built was founded on the clay courts. You know the results he had in Rome and in the French Open basically got him over the line and got him to the ATP finals. And he is a bit out of his depth when he comes up against the best players on a hard court, and I think especially on an indoor hard court. And he's he's, he's yeah. been made to look maybe like he doesn't doesn't belong but obviously the ATP finals is representative of the whole season and a bulk of the season is played on clay he 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 does deserve that top eight top ten ranking that he's got um but what struck me with Medvedev is you use the words in the zone I think on prime Catherine and that it just seems that he is in this zone because he wasn't even wasn't like he was even having to go out of his way to finish the match quickly he he was just unflappable playing the way he plays and it was easily good enough to wrap up a very straightforward victory for him it was like he didn't even need to make a decision about whether about how he needs to play the match of course i'm just going to keep playing the same way and i'll be too good and some of the winners as you mentioned david some of those returns from out wide down the line incredible yeah he he to me is playing the highest level of tennis in this tournament. I'm not necessarily picking mm. him to win, but based on the group stages, I think his level is the highest we've seen. Yeah, and actually I felt like it shone a little bit of a light on Zverev, who to me should be a similar type of player. But Medvedev looks completely unencumbered by mm. any doubts, any everything about the way he plays is is up to to his limits or beyond he he's pushing his limits all the time he's expressive he's adventurous he's dynamic he looks as though he feels like he can do anything on the court and and he and he goes for for those shots with 100% conviction absolutely they are the same mold of player they're the same height they have similar weapons serve okay Zverev's backhand stronger than the well, actually, no. You'd say the same. You'd say the same for Medvedev. Absolutely, Zverev's got the edge on technique. I think not. Not too many people are a, a, a fan of Medvedev's technique in terms of whether they would coach it to youngsters. I mean, they they're a fan of the result, um, but it's certainly an unorthodox stroke production. And Medvedev's got his edge in every department. I mean, it, it looks like they're playing a different sport at the moment. Frankly. Hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, so it all leaves us tomorrow with just the most sensational lineup, really. I mean, you know, we've had a couple of tough days where the dead rubbers have come, but tomorrow we're starting at 12 o'clock local time with 
the semi-finals in the doubles, Wesley Kulhoff and Nikola Mektic against Marcel Granoyes and Horacio Zabias, hopefully, um, if, uh, if they can get out on court. Yeah, I think for the sake of Bruno Suarez and Mateo Pavic's <laughs> sanity, they need to at least try. Yes. <laughs> I mean, if imagine if that match just doesn't happen and Pavic mm. and Suarez are just here at the Intercontinental Hotel next door, you know, waiting for their flight out of London. I mean, it just it seems really silly to me that that scenario yeah. is, do, is so possible. Agree. Yeah, we often talk about tennis shooting itself in the foot, don't we? And that feels like a classic example not to have mm. that flexibility. Mm. After that, it's uh, Dominic Team against Novak Djokovic. What do you think, folks? Team. I think I'm going to go Djokovic. Oh, I get. Well, I was going to say I get the casting vote, but it doesn't matter at all what I say, does it? It's, it's not. <laughs> it's not decisive at all. Um, I'm also going to say Team. Mm. Really fascinating. I mean, that match last year at the O2 was one of the matches of the year. It was one of the most jaw-dropping matches of the year because Djokovic did what he does and he did it brilliantly, just pinning team on his baseline and yet still getting blasted off the court more often than not, hence team winning. Well, team won that day and I think team is even better now indoors on this surface than he was 12 months ago. Um, and I think Djokovic isn't playing quite so well. He he, he looked good today, but I think he was made to look good. Um, and I, I actually think he's been the least convincing of our four semi-finalists. I mean, look, he's he's the world number one. He could very easily, almost likely, raise his game to the required level tomorrow. But um, on the basis of what I've seen, I go for team. Hmm. Okay, we'll look forward to it. Uh, and then it's uh, Jürgen Meltzer and Edouard Roger Vasselin uh, against Rajiv Ram and Joe Salisbury. Mm. What do you think about that one? Oh, I think it's going to be really tense. They all have been, haven't they? Yeah. So many of these matches have been close. They've been brilliant doubles. Um, I think uh-huh. I think Ram and Salisbury. Yeah, yeah me so too. Mm. And then we've got Medvedev against Nadal. Oh. The rematch of the US Open final of 2019, the rematch of the round-robin match that Medvedev led 5-1 a year ago at the O2, and Nadal ended up winning from 1-5 down. Oh, I remember it so clearly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What do we think? I'm going to go with Nadal. Despite logic telling me to go for Medvedev I've just got a feeling about Nadal I can't really explain it but I'm picking Nadal I think one one thing I would say is Medvedev hasn't been put in any kind of jeopardy yet and I Mm. I think Nadal will at least run him a lot closer than anyone he's played in the group everyone he's played in the group is a reasonably similar game style you know it's all quite narrow, up the middle of the court, baseline hitting. I think Nadal might be able to push Medvedev off a little bit. Um, he's got so many more ways to win the point than he used to have Nadal. Just just this feeling I have for Nadal. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with him. I, I concur with everything. I sounded really confident about it then. I mean, I don't feel confident at all. Oh, I no, think it's, not at all. You know, 49-51, but... I agree. I had I had that feeling for Nadal before the tournament, and at that stage, it was based on not very much at all. And at least now, it's based on three really, really great performances. Um, I know Medvedev has also put in three really, really great performances, but I feel the same. I very unscientifically have just a bit of a feeling about Nadal. I think he's incredibly hungry for this. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, do, do, is it, Matt, is it the Davis Cup final of last year that makes you feel like this? Probably. <laughs> I was so swept up by that last year. Um, and I'm very aware that the strength of feeling he had playing for his country and his team was going through a lot last year with everything that happened with Bautista Agu. And he was, 
he was possessed, I think, that week, but he was so good. And I can't get that image out of my mind of Nadal playing that yeah. well on an indoor court. And I think he has he has the ability to to turn it on. Um, yeah, and and also he's never lost to Medvedev. I mean, I know they've, they've played some incredibly close matches, but the head-to-head is in his favour. So that's kind of just another reason why if, if it does get close... It's a big deal trying to beat Nadal for Medvedev. That that would be a, that's a big hurdle to overcome. Um, yeah, so just little things like that tipping tipping the scales in favour of Nadal for me. But again, it's close. I think it's very close. David hasn't given a name yet. Mm. Well, I picked Medvedev for the title. So before the tournament. With, well, no, after that first <laughs> match, I think. Who did he pick pre-tournament? Djokovic. I don't think I, I. We didn't actually pick anybody, did we? we in the end, to. no, we were supposed we to. Got and then out we didn't get it. around to it. Oh. We just didn't get. <laughs> we didn't get around to it. But when when we saw, so I now think you're it was, claiming uh, you picked Medvedev. No, I think David picked well, Medvedev. I think post the Djokovic win. Was it? Right. Yeah, yeah, uh, I did. <laughs> That's when it was. Um, <laughs> it's on the podcast. There's evidence. <laughs> um, You've done a lot of broadcasting the last few days, Catherine. I've heard a lot fair. of dodgy predictions as well. Yeah. Well, you've been known, you know me for 13 years. Uh, so I'm going Medvedev for the title. Hence, therefore, I have to pick him to beat Nadal. And that, that is what I'm going to go for. He, he just – he gives me confidence in, mm. in the way he's carrying himself and playing. There's just not a flicker of doubt. Now, I do think you've got a point that if anybody can – bring doubt on it is Rafael Nadal you know he can take him into some deep waters but indoors over the best of three sets maybe he won't have time to so you know I'm going to go for Medvedev still so yeah really really looking forward to it Um, that match is the second one in the evening session so not before eight o'clock isn't it UK time Mm -hmm. on Prime Video Catherine will be presenting you make sure you tune in for her build-up show stuff as well because it's uh it's really really good especially when it lasts an hour and uh yeah Catherine just does the podcast on air (laughs) It's, it's great I, um, I sometimes think of podcast listeners watching going, well, I've heard this before. <laughs> <laughs> Quite right. You're a one-trick pony, Catherine. And they're all proud. <laughs> <laughs> um, by the way, can I just say as well, before we finish, uh, we we had a note this morning from a certain Pam Shriver on Twitter. Did we? Which was, which, which was lovely, yeah. Um, she wrote to us and she said, from Las- Los Angeles, I've been listening to you, Catherine and Matt, while walking my dog each morning this week. More details, the please, ver- on the dog. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Pam, let us know about the dog. Hold on. it's The dog's in her, her bio, actually. Um, it says Golden Retriever Bow. Bow, and she's got a cat called Dart. It's all coming back that's to correct. me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm familiar, I'm familiar with these animals. Yeah. So, hello, Pam. Uh, and Pam says the... The the volley verbal rally has been a fun threat, and of course, I wasn't going to get <laughs> let that lie because I mean you know we're talking about one of the great volleyers of mm. tennis in Pam Shriver. All those yeah. Grand Slam titles she's won twenty two in and doubles over twenty two Grand Slam doubles Blimey. titles. I mean you know absolutely sensational volleyer. So I said. Right then, Pam, uh, what is what is okay out of 10 and what is decent out of 10? Well, she did a good job of dodging the numbers, uh, but she said, and I found this really interesting, she said, a volley skill is not like a gymnastics or diving score. For this era, where conditions do not favour serve and volleying as a primary tactic, it's not fair to compare equally current volley skills to 25 to 40 years ago. Given current playing conditions, Roger Federer has more than a decent volley. Well said. A great contribution. Mm. Yeah. I can't, I can't argue with that, can I? It's Pam Shriver. <laughs> <laughs> Who am I? Thanks, Pam. Uh, so. She stitched you right up, David. No, I don't um, mind being told I'm wrong that, by Pam Shriver. More she stitched Tim Emman up. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's good debate, good row. I love so, that. Uh, we enjoy that. The thought of... Pam Shriver listening to us while walking her dogs is just Hilarious. great. 
Magnificent. So good morning, Pam, on your walk in California. <laughs> I never thought I'd hear myself say that to somebody, <laughs> uh, but I just have. Uh, have we got any shout outs, Matt, today? Yes. We have well, to oh, Pam good. Shriver, apparently. Of you course. You just did oh, one. You know. gave her a freebie. <laughs> well, she Shall deserves it. Shall I review it. her name? <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Catherine. It's great. Great name. Lots of great, <laughs> lots of great Pams. Pam from the American office. Um, That's true. Pamela Anderson. Okay, a- let's any leave it there. Gavin and Stacey. Move. Yes, yes. Right. Okay, Matt. Anyway, <laughs> shout out, Yes. Four. Let's butcher somebody else's <laughs> name. Ryan Mark Caldero. Well, wow. Got, is it Ryan? Is it Mark? Ryan Mark? Yes. That's an amazing name, that isn't is, it? That is great. When you said Ryan and Mark, I thought it was going to be, you know, Williams. But Caldero. That's oh, I'd love to be called that's that jazzy, for a day. That's jazzy, yeah. I'd love to go into a coffee shop and just say, you know, when they say, what's your name? So I can write it on the cup. Ryan Mark Caldero, actually. <laughs> what do you just, say? You, know. you do give a fake would, name, don't you, David? They, then they would spit in your latte, David. <laughs> Why would they do that? Well, because they wouldn't believe me. Oh, because they don't want to write that many letters down, do they? <laughs> they want you to say, Bob. <laughs> so, how, Ryan Mark, I always what, say, you, I always say Kath. Does he say RMC? I always say Kath rather than Catherine. Dear. Yep. You give a fake name, don't you, David? Or you went through a phase of trying to give a fake name. There's some sort of story my, here. My kids find it very funny if I give somebody else's name when I'm getting a coffee. So, you know, anything to entertain This is why kids. you're getting yeah. dad jokes on the podcast, folks. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Anything to make my kids think I'm... Um, you know, my kids are 8 and 10. At the moment, they they pretend to think I'm cool. And so I'm going to I'm going to enjoy make it, that last as long as possible it <laughs> because it won't be for much I would longer. I would potentially like to interrupt and say, does your eight year old son think you're cool? In in he 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 thinks a lot of me. I think so. Yeah, I'm not so, I'm not doubting his love for you, David. No, but, not for but, a but moment. There, <laughs> but but what I'm saying is, I think because of that, he kind of pretends. That he thinks I'm cool. I, <laughs> I, think. I think he's pretty selective with who he'd, who he'd deem cool. Yeah, I think you're right. We're, we're gonna, I he think, thinks Sitsipass is cool, he doesn't he? He thinks Sitsipass is cool, doesn't he? Yeah, Yeah, he does. He loves Sitsipass. Yeah. Right. Um, right. So who's our second shout-out, Matt? Alex Green. Oh, hello, Alex. Alex Green. Yeah. Thanks very much, Alex. Is this the Alex Green that we know? I think so. Oh, a very big hello to Alex Green. Yeah, Catherine's boss. I, I can't, I can't <laughs> dissect his that great, great, great name, Alex. Great name, <laughs> top bloke. <laughs> End. <laughs> Matt, carry on. And I finally... know lots of great Alexes. Green is my favourite colour. <laughs> got a, I've got a cousin called Alex, and he thinks right. Kyrgios is the coolest. Does he? Yeah. Hmm. Shall I move on? <laughs> yes, please. Um, M.A. Tucker. You can sort of fill in the blanks. But it's, yeah, M.A. Tucker. I know what Catherine's thinking. This is like FKA Twigs. Malcolm Tucker, maybe? It is FKA Twigs, isn't it? Do you, do you know who I'm talking about? No. Hold, hold the fort, David, while I Google. Right. Yeah, F- FKA Twigs. Go on. <laughs> well, real name, Talia Debrett Barnett, known professionally as FKA Twigs, is an English singer-songwriter, dancer and actress, raised in Tewkesbury. I mean, she how am I supposed to She went out with Robert Pattinson that? for a while. Who's Robert Pattinson? Oh, come on, David. <laughs> <laughs> He's Batman. Oh, yeah. You know me in popular culture. I mean, I'm. He's 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 a local for me. He's from Barnes. Right. I have hung out in okay. Barnes in hopes of bumping into him. It's not happened yet. <laughs> no. Can we get back Still to M A Tucker and thank him for yes. his yeah, just, him or just her. say thank you. Let's just say thank you to M A Tucker because that person has backed us in our Kickstarter <laughs> at the beginning of this year in order for us to have enough money to be able to spend enough time to be doing this every day and through the night what time did you finish uploading the podcast last night matt 
uh, 3.20 a.m., I think it was. Yeah. Those are the hours we're keeping, folks. Yeah, it's, uh, all this in the has good somehow name. become US Open 2.0. I don't quite know <laughs> how. Without a caravan. Yeah, I know. Well, the, the, the thing is, you know, the podcasts were, were, were coming out at a nice sort of 37 minutes until we started doing the shout-outs <laughs> and taking at least 12 minutes on those. Um, it's right, because no one listens to, to, to those 12 yeah, minutes. No, nobody's listening to this If you've bit, made it this far, any, thank you and congratulations. If, if there are any stragglers, uh, we will be back tomorrow. Uh, for another one of these and looking back on what we hope will be an absolutely thrilling semi-finals day and uh, yeah we've only got a couple more to go and then uh, well, well I mean we'll think of something else to do obviously and then we the will Royal start we. our yeah and then we'll start our Kickstarter in just over a week's time on December the 1st so if you would like a reminder uh, when it goes live scroll down in your show notes stick your email address in we'll send you one email on the day when it's launched and you can be at the front of the queue for any of the categories such as pet mascots and predictions entries and guest editorships and one or two other little surprises that we've got up our sleeve well i have anyway uh you know i'll tell you about them next week shall i when you've finished your work um right go to bed i'm gonna have the rest of my whiskey and uh See you tomorrow. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market